0: Or good day to whatever you're listening to this uh, this is andy kelly pastor at water's edge church and uh, this is our message for sunday the 13th daylight savings <clears throat> and if this is your first time listening i've gotten the habit of just pre-recording the messages so you're actually joining me somewhere around 6 a.m which was 5 a.m because today's daylight savings well it's truly six but you get what i'm saying it's early this is the first words that have come out of my mouth today and uh yeah thanks for listening we are going to start the conversation by asking a question we typically do this in our gatherings and the question is this what is a personal award accomplishment or feat that you're proud of what is a, an award an accomplishment achievement a feat that you are proud of and i think a question like this can feel sometimes loaded kind of like bragging that or it can feel very personal something that you've worked hard for whatever you're thinking feeling feel free to just think about it or share it with somebody if you're driving with somebody in the car it's really God's grace and God's grace upon grace that allowed us opportunities to pursue our hearts desires these physical feats academic pursuits vocational passions expansion of the family etc 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 so think about it what is one personal award accomplishment or feat that you're proud of what is one that you're just like yeah all right one divided by 237. one divided by 237. i saw that on a piece of paper once and it somewhat changed the trajectory of my life when i was a kid i was okay as a student i i didn't look too promising in first grade however in sixth grade i started to step it up i guess and moved from one class to another all in all i never thought grades were that big of a deal i wanted to do well but more importantly especially as a kid i wanted to fit i wanted to fit in i wanted to fit in and have fun Freshman year, things shifted fairly quickly. Freshman year is your ninth grade year in high school. I was a late bloomer with a lot of acne and very skinny kid. <clears throat> and I was entering this new world where uh, my dad was not only a teacher in the high school, but he was this almost famous head basketball coach. I also had two sisters who were ahead of me who did really well scholastically. And one of them was a really tough athlete. I did have one thing going for me. I had a fall birthday. I was a little older for my class. And this enabled me to take driver's ed a year early, which I was all over. I was like, I did all the math. I was like, I am taking driver's ed so that I can drive when I'm 16. I also wanted to play drums. So I was in the marching band. Um, Like I said, I was trying to fit in. (laughs) And the band was pretty cool. I mean, the band we had was awesome. And if you practice, which I wanted to, you would actually get a good grade for that class. In middle school, I was never admitted to take like college courses in high school, but I did fairly well. And so I was able to take a couple honors, a high level courses in my freshman year. And I love geometry. I love physical science. I loved it. And so that first quarter consisted of me just playing soccer and having fun in school. And all that being said, unbeknownst to me, I had this perfect concoction of courses that somehow weighted my GPA. Which is your grade point average? Something I'd never thought about before, because I had band, I was getting hundred drivers ed. It didn't weigh my courses down. I was taking some honor courses that I liked, weighed my grades up. And at the end of the first quarter, I was just sitting in home room, where my teacher was a, a good friend of mine, Brock Cole's mom, Mrs. Cole. She was so great, smart. She taught calculus and physics. Uh, more important, she loves me, and took me aside where all the really, really like the really smart kids, were talking with one another. And she shared a piece of paper with me. And on that paper, it said one divided by 237. And I asked her, what's this? What's this, Miss Cole? And she told me, this is your class rank as of the first quarter of freshman year. You're number one out of 237 kids. And I just sat there and looked at her. And I saw a look in her eyes, and then I looked at the other kids, the smart kids, really, really smart kids, and I saw the look in their eyes, and I look at that little piece of paper, and in a moment it changed almost everything. I was somebody else in the eyes of everybody else. Even the shadow of my dad, my old man, could not completely cast over me. That slip of paper That feeling I got, that slip of paper, it it altered the trajectory of my high school career, and the patterns of those four years affected, in many ways, affected and infected a lot of my life. The approval I received definitely changed the way I was a student in those years. It also would change the kind of lifeguard I would be in the summers, the engineer in the workforce, seminary student that one day would become in many ways it informs the pastor that I am. Of course it affects the kind of husband and dad that I am. Yeah and that piece of smaller piece of paper has slowly become a smaller part of my story and I've witnessed how God has used a strong drive and work ethic for the sake of his glory for the most part. but there's something regrettable about that moment that piece of paper came before my eyes. It's not the piece of paper's fault. It's not Mrs. Cole's or those kids. They were just excited, which was humbling and awesome. Too awesome. I just wish I had someone who told me that piece of paper was pretty cool, but it didn't really define me. That's what I wish I had somebody. Someone tell me that piece of paper was, was pretty sweet, but doesn't define you either way, Andy. And maybe someone did say that, and maybe I couldn't hear I, The truth is my deeper wish as a young lad was that there would be a consistent, sometimes even bothersome voice, a tender voice still, who said that your life is not defined. You're, you're not defined any by pieces of paper. You're not defined by your position at your job or your work or even in church. You're not defined by how many kids you have or don't have or your marital status. And we, we, all, we all need that persistent faithful and tender voice and we're continuing our series blessed be the merciful our journey with the messiah and we work through some of the practical applications of the sermon on the mount in chapter 5 matthew 5 and jesus has covered a lot of issues such as murder fighting and anger lust adultery and divorce swearing oaths lying and gossip our hatred enmity, and choice to love those who may be against us But now he's addressing those who look like they've got all that covered. He's addressing those of us who feel like we need to have it all together. Which may be the the deadliest and most subversive sin in the church. This is the pride of holiness. As we hit the heart of the sermon, Jesus addresses those high achievers. The ambitious, the performers. Those who like to strike the humble pose the pious and publicly generous, those who believe that there's somebody else in the eyes of everybody else. One of the greatest journeys of the Christian faith is accepting that your worth and my worth is not based on our appearance or what we can produce or our performance. The world would say that's who you are. God doesn't say that's who you are. The world says that your worth is equal to what you can do plus what other people think plus what you have uh, the, the lie of our worth is what you can do plus what others think and those two are intimately tied together they're separate and at the same time they they kind of work with one another the symbiotic and then another thing the world says is you are what you have and we're actually going to cover that topic next week god's different drastically different God says you're God's child you're my child I mean that's the heart of the the scriptures Romans 8 Ephesians 1 through 3 the Bible scriptures says God says that he likes us he loves us and he loves loving us you can find that in the Bible John 15 first John 4 it's 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 there oh yeah because of this truth um we get to do amazing stuff with God in order to re- take the love that we received and give it to others this is the great command to love God and love others and before we even step in this command God's pleased with us but the enemy of God the devil he realizes that if once we start taking our faith seriously if we're not getting sucked into cheating or affairs and Wars he'll take note and he'll seductively convince us or convince someone who is taking that faith seriously, that their holiness somehow makes makes them better than others. This is why we're tempted to focus on having laws and rules in our religion, because it, it makes us have a sense of security. It makes us feel better, feel good about ourselves. It gives us a way, whether we would admit it or not, to judge others, which again, makes us feel better. And this is simple. Some rules we have today are coming to church. Or maybe now it's listening to this podcast or getting away to a spiritual retreat. It's reading our Bible daily or being in some type of study that others aren't in. Maybe it's leading worship and looking holy up there, even though inside you may be struggling with life or with God. Even being sober, whether it's through addiction, of alcohol, sex drugs work even being sober can be a mask that we we like to wear i mean real talk when you host a safe family kid there's a sense of street cred that you feel like you get that can be slightly intoxicating it's like oh yeah people see it and this again is why we love laws it gives us a sense of self-control which can actually inhibit the invitations of the spirit because we get in this sense of doing and doing that's almost automatic and mechanical, when the wind of the spirit leads us to places that may fall outside of our normal religious activity. And maybe you're not trying to look good in front of others. Maybe you feel so much shame that you think man, other people have it all together, but pff, I, I I don't have all this I'm definitely not somebody else I'm me and I can't be like everybody else and when you think about that that has its own seductive sense of pride because you have basically placed yourself aside whether you say you're better than others or you're worse than others this focus is about you when the truth is God wants us to love God and others, wherever we're at, out of a sense of being loved, out of the truth of being loved. I think, as we think of this conversation, a question that came to me is why is religious pride, i.e. legalism, so dangerous? Why is this performance, tendencies, this approval, addiction, Why is it so dangerous to ourselves and to others? And that's where I want to jump into the scriptures. Reading a a larger chunk of scripture, Matthew 6, 1 through 18, as we're looking through the book of Matthew in a year. So Matthew 6 says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. And if you know these words, feel free to pray along with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, giving, praying, and fasting, three topics that are covered. Meanwhile, you have the Lord's Prayer right in the middle of it. Giving, praying, and fasting are are great God-given disciplines. They're amazing. The problem is Jesus is addressing those who are essentially paying for public praise, the generosity. They're praying for personal significance, this coverage prayer, and they're fasting in order to avoid serving. Jesus is addressing a system By and large, it was a common practice in the synagogue, the church of those days, to acknowledge large gifts and therefore acknowledge large givers. Uh, There were devout Jews. They prayed three times a day and many would go to the synagogue and pray out loud while standing in front of others. Fasting was done twice a week by the Pharisees and many religious leaders, and when they did so, they wore sackcloth and mourning clothes. It all became a sign. I don't, you know, I'll use my words more wisely. A lot of it became a sign to be seen to gain respect and praise and ultimately separate oneself above others and this is where i really appreciate what james brian smith writes in his book the good and beautiful life about the sin of pride he calls it vainglory vainglory religious pride legalism all close synonyms is considered to be the eighth deadly sin according to the orthodox church it's elusive because it hides under the guise of virtue, under the guise of being holy. So, why do we, why is legalism, why is this vainglory so dangerous? Well, it's clear from the scriptures. When we are fixated on looking good in the eyes of others, we become blind to truly loving God and others. When we are fixated on how we look, we become blind to what others may need and how we can love them. We also miss God's love that washes over us. Again, when you're focused on how do I look or how did I look, we fail to see and love our neighbor and we fail to see and experience God's love that's there. We miss God's love for you and me and for us, whether we did it all right, or whether we did it all wrong. Now again, We've noted this in the past, we don't want to take everything that Jesus said as a rule. If we did, if we would, we wouldn't defend someone who's being attacked. We keep on turning the other cheek and telling somebody else who's being physically attacked. We wouldn't, we would always rather tell the truth, even if it hurts someone. If we listen to Jesus here, we'd never pray in church at all. We would give everything away and we would live in poverty and lose the opportunity to give consistently. When we start making rules at everything jesus says rather than get to the deeper principles uh, we really miss the opportunity to love god and others everything that jesus states points in that direction everything does the only rule is to love god and others that's the great command matthew 22. i remember one time i was in Chick fil a on the grapevine with my family and we were coming from clovis which is the six hour drive halfway home and there was someone in the restaurant who was begging for money and this person looked like they're a pretty desperate state I was tired kind of zoned out but this person came to me and I did have cash in my wallet I think so after Christmas you always have like a little bit of cash mom and dad gives you 20 bucks and they asked and I hesitated but I also looked Courtney in the eyes and I recognize oh this person's in need so I gave what I had and it wasn't a big deal and uh, I don't even know if I gave everything that I had but I gave gave some money and uh, it wasn't a big deal not a big deal at all but what's interesting about that is my kids kept on bringing it up even after months they would keep on bringing it up and I realized yeah it was good for them good for them to witness generosity there could be profound goodness even public giving at times the question is what is our motive is it about me or is it about God And this is a really great discernment question. When good opportunities come our way, what is my motive? Is it looking good or is it loving God? I have this amazing opportunity to help somebody out or I have this speaking opportunity or this position that's come my way. What's my motive for stepping into this? It seems good, but is this about me or is this about you, God? Is this an opportunity to look good or an opportunity to love God? I think a follow-up question we have when we recognize the danger of legalism is how do we step away from our legalistic tendencies? What steps can we take if we are knowingly or even unknowingly caught in legalistic practices to look good in front of others? What is a great step we can take away? And it's simply to get away with God, to get away with God. There's many times in the scripture where Jesus says, Get into your room. Step away with a God who is unseen. He says it one time, but there's two times where he notes that God is unseen. So let us get away with a God who is unseen. The solution to religious pride is, is getting away with the one we love. With our first love, That is Je- that is Jesus. This is why Jesus gives us such a profound and yet simple prayer in the Lord's Prayer. We can enter freely into the presence of God without pretense and without even our own words. It's like, I want you to be with me. If you don't know what to say, here are some amazing words. Isn't that awesome? To God, our worth is not dependent on what we have to say or what we do. It's found in God's loving eyes. If we win, God loves us. If we lose, God loves us. If I improve, God loves us. If I somehow get worse, God loves us. If I show up, God loves us. If I retreat, God loves us. If I give, pray, and fast, God loves me. If I steal, kill, and destroy, God loves me. A fruit of getting getting away with God is recognizing that God never gets away with you. A fruit of truly getting away with God is recognize that God who truly loves you never gets away from you. He's with you in your day to day. This means we can live as the Puritan stated for an audience of one. Everybody say audience of one and that audience is God who loves you regardless, who loves you always. That means when I preach, it's for an audience one. When Jared plays the drums today, it's for an audience of one. When Alicia sings, it's for an audience of one, and we're all just part of the chorus singing to the God who sings over us. That's Zephaniah three seventeen. I was uh, I was given a rule by Larry Warner. If you don't know Larry, he's a great part of our church. He's on our advisory team, and um, he's been my spiritual director. And none of those things define him. He probably doesn't like that I say all that. <laughs> he probably doesn't even care. That's how anchored he is. Maybe maybe not. But basically, he gave me this wonderful principle. Isn't it funny how, like, by the way, it's just funny how, like, we will talk about people and their titles. It's like totally affirms the point that we all have this approval addiction. We all love to puff up our resumes. Okay, and side note, Larry gave this uh, sweet rule that he learned, I think, at a pastoral conference, that seventy percent of what is said to you, whether it's affirmation or critique, by others especially if it's reactive. I.e, if somebody comes up to me after my message or somebody comes up to me after a retreat or somebody, I don't know, they come up to me, they want to tell me about how I quote unquote did, whether it's an affirmation or critique, 70% of what is shared has everything to do with them and 30% may have something to do with you. Meaning when people give us feedback, whether positive or negative, it's really about their preferences being affirmed or their desire to control what need, what they believe needs to happen. Most of the time, the feedback we get is not even about us; it's about them. I mean, Oscar Wilde said, "Criticism is autobiographical. Most of it is their stuff and not yours." So we're living for this approval that's not even about us. Not amazing. I mean, some of it there's we need to sift through, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't take correction at times but when somebody gives me advice and they tell me what I need to do that's like okay I'm going to hear what you have to say and I'm going to understand who it's coming from and I'm going to take both what you said and who it's coming from to God to see what God may have for me and that is a gift and and that's why this conversation is really so important if we believe that our worth is what we can do or what others think about us or what we have, which is next week, if we live with this approval addiction, we'll never be free to be ourselves. We'll never be free just for me to be me and for others to be others. We'll never attempt to do something that may not we may not be good at doing but love doing. We may never step into kingdom opportunities because we've deemed ourselves incapable We're not like others and therefore we shouldn't be able to do that. It's like, mm -mm, that's not true. We're all God's children. And because of that, we get to do stuff with God as he leads us, who loves us. And what's something you've always wanted to do, but for some reason didn't believe you can or you've discounted yourself, like adopt a kid or learn to play an instrument, start a business or nonprofit, change careers start a career travel abroad serve somewhere for some time go back to school learn a trade what is something you've always wanted to do but for some reason discounted yourself i remember as an engineer and i i wanted to go into ministry but because of my past i was like i'm unworthy and it took people to say no go for it and it was a hard path but i'm so glad i did what's worse To have discerned, stepped out, and failed, or to not have taken the design to discern God's leading and never have tried? I think intuitively, we like to say it's the latter. That's what's worse. But truthfully, it's a trick question. (laughs) Because that question presupposes one way was correct and the other was wrong, and failure is a worldly construct questions like that make you feel like you missed opportunities when in christ you really can't fail either way you miss an opportunity god gives another god is that gracious so let us take hold of our present invitations as we seek to live out a life of discernment a life of following jesus this is why the conversation is so important we may never be free to step into new opportunities and to see others because we're too obsessed with how we look we may never be free to step freely into god's love because somehow we've projected others disapproval onto god when god is not disapproving of us at all god is here he wants to speak words of love to you he wants life for you so for the rest of the gathering today I created space for you just to spend time with God. Ten, maybe fifteen minutes of different prompts rooted in the Lord's prayer. And we place those and we're gonna place those around the room. And in in many ways, am I asking you to pray in public? I guess I am, but I've also discovered something recently that if we're all too committed to praying together in silence, to take the time to honor God with our time, we can acknowledge others and smile. We actually can find solitude in the midst of community. We can find both silence and solitude if we're committed to praying and spending time with God together. Isn't that amazing? Solitude in the midst of community. It may just be the sweetest space there is. So there's going to be some prompts that we have in this room. And as we close this portion of our worship gathering, I think it would behoove us to read the Lord's prayer. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as in heaven, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, deliver us from the evil one. As we close this time, I just wanna state that there is a God who loves you, who's given his life for you, so that we can receive that love and give our life to God if you haven't done that with this space right now whether it's in your car in your home on your jog or walk give your life to Jesus just say Lord I want to give my life to you and see how God meets you some next steps is just to pray to God by yourself each day this week and then choose something to fast from from Lent or choose a way that you can serve others this Lent. It's never too late. Lent has started a week and a half ago, but that's fine. There's never too late. The invitations, the opportunities are there. And then to read Matthew six nineteen through 24. God bless you, and we'll talk soon.